Support for the sponsor pod and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Hey guys, it's Jason. Welcome to episode number 12, a special live edition of the Sponsor Pod featuring Greg Tanner, VP of Corporate Partnerships and Business Development for the Utah Jazz. We recorded this episode as part of a fall sports conference with Brigham Young University, Idaho, and Rexburg, Idaho. Students joined this live edition of the Sponsor Pod to learn about Greg's journey and ask questions via chat. I've known Greg for a long time, and it was a pleasure having him on the show. This is the Sponsor Pod, a show about sponsorship leaders and their experiences, stories, and how they see the ever-changing world of sponsorships. I'm Jason Smith, and on the show today, we're going to hear from Greg Tanner, VP of Corporate Partnerships and Business Development for the Utah Jazz. I connected with Greg on this special live broadcast to hear about his sponsorship journey. Welcome, everyone, to this uh, first edition live episode of, of the Sponsor Pod. Some students here with uh, BYU-Idaho as part of the Sports Business Conference. And, and uh, what a great, great event it's been. Uh, Greg and I, we're, we're honored to be here with you and uh, to participate as, as part of this. And I'm going to be uh, interviewing Greg Tanner, uh, Vice President of Partnerships, uh, Corporate Partnerships and Business Development for the Utah Jazz. And you're going to learn a lot about, about Greg and, and um He's a good, good friend of mine. We've been, we've known each other a long time and, uh, and I'm excited to, for you guys to, to get to know Greg. This is about, about uh, learning from him and his experience. He's been with the Utah Jazz for over 25 years. So he has uh, got a lot of experience um, being there during the uh, John and Carl days um, all the way till uh, the Donovan Mitchell days. Greg, why don't you tell, tell these students a little bit about you? where you grew up and, and, uh, yeah. we're, we're going to get into your job, but let's start from the very earliest, uh, the early years of Greg Tanner. Well, born right out of the gate with Greg's childhood. No, Hey, really excited to be here tonight. Uh, by the way, the first zoom call I've been on in on for a while where everyone uh, was muted and it didn't, uh, someone wasn't talking or, uh, mistakenly off of mute. Uh, what a crazy world we're living in right now that uh, we meet this way, but how cool that we can come together. I can see your faces. And I just want to make a, a commitment out of the gate. This environment that we're in tonight gets me really excited. While I can't spend hours with every one of you uh, daily, I would make a, an early commitment um, when it comes to young uh, students looking to get into sports, I would love to take the time, whatever I can do to help you guys and assist you guys. I'm totally committed. I've got a half dozen people I've been working with the last few months and, and uh, tried to mentor. And I'll, I'll, I'll start with a quick story that doesn't have anything to do with my childhood, if you don't mind, Jason, but it has yeah, to go do for with it. 
uh, students just like this. So there was this kid. And, and I will say to the students, Greg, before you get started, before let, let's, uh, to those students we have on, on the uh, podcast today, feel free to put whatever questions that come to your mind in the chat. We're going to stop through multiple times throughout here to, to, to go to your questions. So if you have a question come up, put it in the chat and we'll go from there, but go for it, Greg. You bet. So let's, let's back up. I want to say five, six, seven years ago, I get an email from a kid that's living up in, in Oregon. He's going to a junior college. He's a basketball player. He blew his knee out. And his life dream is to be an MBA general manager, whatever it takes. And, you know, I kind of roll my eyes at that because doesn't everyone that wants to be in sports want to be a GM of a professional team? But this kid had a uniqueness to him that was different than most kids that I had worked with or met. Long story short, he said, Greg, I will do whatever it takes to meet you and get some guidance from you. And I said, Jonathan, if you're willing to fly to Salt Lake City on your dime, I will set an hour aside and we'll sit down and I'll give you everything I can give you within an hour. So not knowing at the time, but Jonathan had no money, went out, bought him a suit, bought him a plane ticket, not sure how he accomplished that, flew to Salt Lake City, and we met. When he sat down with me, he was, he was dialed. You could just tell he was serious about this. The kid was from the Netherlands. He'd come over on a uh, family, lived with a family in, in Oregon, and got into this junior college and was just getting ready to graduate. And the uniqueness to him is when he walked in, he handed me a business card. And I said to him, I thought you were a student. He goes, I am a student. So I looked at the business card and it had a Vince Lombardi quote on it. I mean, this kid was just the, the funniest. He was so into whatever it took. And long story short, I'll give, you, I'll give you the beginning and the end. The end is I ended up hiring Jonathan that day. I hired him in a position he didn't want to do, which was one of our service manager positions. They fulfill our contracts and all of the deliverables. And I said, Jonathan, you prove yourself in this position and you'll get where you want to go. So let's fast forward three months after that conversation and me hiring. And by the way, I went to our executive vice president and I said, look, kids like this don't come along every day. I need you to meet this guy. I know you're busy. He sat down with him and he came out and he goes, we got to hire him. He, he's a go getter. So we hire him. He gets, he gets to the jazz after he moves and settles in. Three months later, I promote him to a uh, entry-level salesperson, which immediately increased his income and got him closer to his goals. While he's not the GM of the Jazz, his name's Jonathan, and it's, it's not uh, Dennis or, or Justin Zanuck, he ended up moving from us to take over a sports sponsorship at USC from the Jazz. From USC, he took a job a year ago, and he's now in corporate partnerships at uh, the Seattle Seahawks. So... I don't know where Jonathan's going to end up, but I'm here to tell you guys, I, I've been where you're at. I know I look gray and old, and it seems like it's been a lot of years since I was where you're at, but it seems like yesterday to me. And the truth of the matter is, uh, and we'll talk more about this, but it's all in relationships. It is all in the relationship, and I want to spend some time on that. But I'll, I'll jump back to uh, just a quick introduction. So I'm a poor kid from Murray, Utah. Uh, grew up one street off of State Street, right behind Larry Miller's old Lexus car dealership. At the time, that was a, a different car dealership, and a lot of those weren't there. But I grew up in a home where uh, my father passed when I was 14 months old. I had a six-year-old six sister at the time and a nine-year-old brother, and 
I was 14 months and uh, my mom was really a warrior in my, in my rock and she still is today. Uh, she didn't remarry for 29, almost 30 years and really dedicated her life to raising her kids. And so I grew up with a mother that didn't give me much rope. We didn't have much money or anything to really brag of. I grew up in a 900 square foot home, one street off of state, and I felt like I had the world. I never really knew I didn't have much until I got a little bit older. I was hungry. I was willing to do literally whatever it took to get out of 5763 Linden Street, Murray, Utah. And I say that not that I don't look back on that with fondness, but I knew there was more out in the world. I knew there was something that I was going to accomplish. And I didn't know what that was, but I was willing to put in the hard work and do whatever it took. As a young kid, I was a consummate sales guy. I've always been a salesperson. And I would tell you, meeting with you for one hour, I'll tell you if you're a salesperson or I'll give you the best advice anyone's ever given you. And I'll direct you to one of our other departments if you're interested in coming to the jazz. <laughs> Because I, I believe that you can, you can teach principles in sales, but either you're a salesperson or you're not. I can help you with skill set, right? You can learn a lot of things. What I can't teach you is to be motivated to get up in the morning, be motivated to, to work uh, whatever it's going to take to succeed. That's going to come from within you. That's kind of my background on where I started from uh, as a kid. Where did, where, got, hey, Greg, where did that come? Where did that start with you, that, that drive? Where do you feel like that came from? I, I don't know, not having much to be honest with you. I mean, I, I was a very proudful kid. I, I think we qualified for government assistance and my mom never took that. I was given a ticket for, for uh, free lunch at school and I never used those and often went without lunches uh, when I was quite a bit younger because I was embarrassed. You know, they had, you guys may not be aware of this, some may, they had government cheese that you could go wait in line and get. And, I, I wasn't planning to tell the story, but I will share. My mom was a classic. I, I wrestled in high school. I played football. I played baseball in high school. And when I was losing weight, I wrestled 105 my senior year. I lost 30 pounds every year to get to a certain weight. And my mom was a huge supporter of that. And we had this food storage that was different than most people's food storage. It was like, don't touch it because we may really need that to survive next week or in a month. And don't get me wrong, I had, I had plenty when I was a kid. My mom was amazing and finding a way to deliver us an amazing Christmas. And I didn't go without, and I, I, I had enough, but it was, it was unique. And I think going without and just having a desire to want nice things, to want to you know, accomplish something in my life drove me. Uh, another quick story, when I, when I was probably 10, 11 years old, that one street off of State Street, also at the very end of the street, had a bowling alley. And in that bowling alley, they had a dumpster out in the back. And all the bowlers drank beer. And all the beer cans back in those days were all aluminum. So I would head over there about 10 o'clock when the bowling alley was wrapping up. And I would throw all the, the I'd pour out the beer cans and throw them all outside, smash them down. <laughs> And there was a, uh, a store down on State Street called Gibson's. And in the parking lot, they'd bring an aluminum truck collector once a week. You'd carry your bags of aluminum down there and then weigh them and then hand you cash. And uh, when I was 10, 11 years old, that's how I made my spending money. So I don't hey, know. You're, I you're an entrepreneur, Greg. That's, that's, you're starting your first, that was your first business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was <laughs> definitely driven to find a way to have 
the things that we couldn't afford. I, I've always liked nice things, whether it's clothes or or uh, cars or what, whatever the case. I, I like nice things, and I thought, you know, if I'm going to have nice things, I got to find a way to earn them. Then, you know, as I got a little bit older, sports really became my outlet. That was the place where I could get away from the reality of maybe uh, the challenges at home as it relates to finances or, you know, whatever the case, I just found I could fill my time with sports. So I began, baseball was kind of my go-to. I was better at baseball and wrestling than I was football. I'm, I'm not that big. So I was quick, but uh, football pretty much uh, wasn't my sport. I played, but I usually sat at the bench, which was great. So I, I played baseball and at Murray, all the baseball players got to work for the park in the summer. So if you played automotive or Legion baseball and anyone that's a baseball player knows about Ken Price, that field when I was a kid was like the field in the state. I know it's aged some now, but um, that's where I played my automotive and high school ball and, and uh, got to work over at the park and uh, that's again where my salesmanship came in. They put me in in the uh, maintenance department where I was weeding and mowing lawns, and I negotiated my way in two weeks into the swimming pool and the new water slide, and became uh, maintenance the first two weeks there, and rolled into a lifeguard position. And pretty soon, my life was really good the next three years. So uh, that's that's kind of where it was at when I was a kid. I I left home. Uh, right after graduating from high school, I was a young senior. So I went to college at 17 and I took off uh, for St. George and I went to Dixie college for one year, had a great time, had too much fun if I'm being honest. And uh, I'll I'll tell you guys a quick experience on having too much fun. It's 3 AM. It's a Saturday night. I'm not at my best. And I decided to call my mom who again is widowed and now a home alone because my brother and sister have moved out, moved on, they're older than I am. And I called my mom and I said, mom, I'm not going on a mission. And again, my condition was such that I had a little bit of courage and told her straight up, I'm, I'm feeling pressure, I'm not going on a mission. And my mom said something to me that day that I've thought a lot about, not just as it relates to a mission or church or my faith, but more importantly to life and that was, Greg, I get it. I just don't want you to have regrets. As long as you can be all in and have no regrets. As soon as I hung up the phone, my mother cried, unbeknownst to me, and I reached over to a buddy and I said, hey, if you'll go on a mission, I'll go on a mission. (laughs) And uh, the rest is history. I went on a mission to Florida, Tallahassee, had an amazing experience. I think better than most because I had lived some good life before my mission and learned a lot and uh, really uh, a side of the religion side as well, just interpersonal skills, learning to deal with people that you hang out with that maybe you wouldn't in a normal situation. And my mission really guided me and it led me to my next step in life was when I returned, I went and lived with a couple of mission buddies at BYU. I had never been to Provo besides driving on my way to Lake Powell or St. George to Dixie or whatever. I'd never spent any time in Provo. And so uh, I was a Ute. My uncle was a running back for the Utes. My grandfather took me to U, U of U football games growing up. But I found my, myself in, in Provo with a couple of buddies. The end of that story is BYU was four of the greatest years in my life. I absolutely had a blast. I'm sure you guys can relate uh, in, in Rexburg. 
So uh, I worked at, at uh, in Provo. I, my first job was at ZCMI, which is no longer around. It's aging me once again. But I worked in the beginning. I took whatever job I could get coming off of a mission because it's so competitive. I, I've heard in Rexburg it's tough to find jobs too because there's, there's uh, not a ton of jobs and a lot of students. But I worked in at ZCMI in the towels and linen and sheets department. And the only way I could survive that was taking bath beads and breaking a bath bead bottle open and having full-on wars amongst the entire, you know, we'd close the store at night, it closes at nine at about eight o'clock, a couple other employees and I would have full-on wars with these uh, bath beads. And you know, if you break those, they, they smell pretty good. I guess we were a little ahead of ourselves with the old uh, pellet guns and uh, uh, paint guns. So anyway, that was a blast. But that led to me getting into BYU. And frankly speaking, I had no clue what I wanted to do. No clue what I wanted to do in life. And frankly, uh, college wasn't really high on my list growing up. I didn't really think I'd ever be able to go to college. And so when I found myself there, I thought I'd better figure out what I want to do. So I had a buddy from Murray. His aunt was a counselor in the communications department at BYU. He's like, why don't you go talk to my aunt? So I said, yeah, that'd be great. So I got in, talked to his aunt, and surely she loves the communication department. She's like, oh, you would love it. You've got to go into this. Next thing I find myself, every other student in there was on the football team, the basketball team. It's all that, it's that easy communications degree. No offense. Hey, easy, easy. I was a communication <laughs> major at BYU. All right. That's what I graduated in. So I got my degree in uh, broadcast sales and management, which is a Bachelor of Arts communication degree uh, back then. Now you guys have so many cool degrees that are so specialized and focused that, I mean, you can really do anything that you want. But that's kind of how, where I grew up and where I, how I ended up at BYU. Probably yeah. What, what was your first, what, what was your first job that, how did you get that crack into sports? So my first real crack at this was at BYU. And I was uh, two years into my program, you know, just getting past all the electives and the basic communications and starting to get into my program. And I wanted some experience on my resume. I, I imagine much like you're feeling like, what do I need to show on my resume that's going to differentiate me? And so I started looking at BYU campus at what opportunities they had. And there was the newspaper, and then there was KBYU TV. So I went over and, and did what it takes, frankly, to, to get into a meeting and tell them why I thought I could be really good for them. And was there an opportunity? I'll work for free. I'll do whatever it takes. I just need some experience. So they hired me. And with no arrogance, a long, long story short, the first year, I absolutely blew every record uh, sales number that they have ever had in fundraising as it relates to public TV. So if you guys are familiar at all with public TV, you can't have a call to action. You can't say head down now and buy this. It's like, I'm a proud sponsor of public TV. Here's your phone number and that's it. It's not easy. It's that's a tough sell. You no can't say, Hey, come to my store. It's, yeah. it's basically a, a logo slash hey, it's great to be in the community type of a message. That's right. And so I started with that, selling that, and I was selling also Classical 89, which is public radio. 
And uh, between the two of them, I, I was able to do a pretty good job of, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you my, my early creative days. I mean, I put a Lawrence Welk, and you guys probably don't even know who that is. But Lawrence Welk was a show on public TV, and it really catered to the senior demographic. And we did a, a, a concert in St. George and sold sponsorships to it. And we did a chili cook-off in St. George and sold tables. And, I mean, we were, like, on the cutting edge of early-day sponsorship and anything to, to generate revenue. What I learned, Jason, really quickly was BYU, and I'll say BYU-Idaho, operate in a different box than the rest of the world. Their box, which I support, and I'm, I'm not being negative, I'm just stating that they had borders that were very, very clear. And one of the borders was they did not want a sales kid working as a student, making as much money as some of their professors, if not more. So I found a couple years in that I started getting calls from the administration building saying, who, who is this Greg Tanner kid and what exactly is he doing? He's making too much money at BYU. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right. And so what eventually happened is... Were you on I was, commission? I was on basically straight commission. And yeah. I'll tell you in a minute one of my first deals and why that kind of made them nervous. But um, I, I basically continued to press and I was selling sewing shows on public TV and I'd go down to the local sewing shop or I can't even remember all the, you know, maybe like a garage fix it store and I'd go to a hardware store and get them to sponsor it. And again, no call to action. So it was tough, but it was very niche because it was the people they were targeting. So I had pretty good success with that. And after a couple of years of doing that and before my income grew too large for BYU, I was promoted to the director of, of fundraising or I can't even remember what they call it back then, but it was basically over raising advertising dollars for KBYU and classical 89. About that same time, they started to evolve sports. And the reason why I am in sports today was because I love sports. And once I saw sports programming, which again, aging myself back in the, the those days, they had those satellites, if you guys have ever seen the old ones stuck in the back parking lot of some churches, even still today, and they transmitted through those satellites BYU football games and Air Force football games to church centers all across the world. And when that happened, we had started by launching Friday night reruns of BYU football games. So I immediately jumped on that and started selling BYU rerun football because I was like, that's way better than Lawrence Welch shows. So hey, I, I will thought, I will say this, Greg. Yeah, we do have Madeline who's on who's as part of part of the of the podcast today, and she says in in all caps, my mom loves Lawrence Welk, grew up watching him. <laughs> so you have you have a you have a uh, Lawrence Welk follower. I on, love it. Here listening today. Well, there were plenty of moms like hers that followed Lawrence Welk. <laughs> and uh, she was the, the demographic you were looking for. That's right. But my passion was sports. And so I quickly found that whether I was selling a sewing show or BYU rerun football, I was making 
my money either way. So I decided to start to focus on what I enjoyed the most or what I was the best at, which was the football and the, and the rerun basketball. So over time, let's fast forward a year or two, that converted and they started what was called the Blue and White Sports Network, which became live football streams over the satellite where church members across the world would go to stake centers to watch BYU football because BYU TV did not have the footprint that they have today. It, it basically was what is BYU TV today. So I began selling that. And now if you take that audience that became huge in numbers, tens and hundreds of thousands, I could charge much, much more for my product. So I began selling the blue and white sports network. And in that process, uh, decided to start chasing alums. So my first deal on the Blue and White Sports Network at, at KBYU was Health Rider. Now, I don't know, again, I'm aging myself, Jason. I keep doing it. But back then, it was an exercise machine, and they did infomercials. And I was able to go to Gary Smith, who was the owner of this company, and he spent $100,000 with me on a Health Rider BYU pack, KBYU. That's amazing. Pack. How? What year was that? I mean, what, when was that? I've been here 25 years, so 20, nearly 30 years ago. 20 so probably years early ago. 90s? Yeah, I started yeah. in 95 with the Jazz, so probably 92 or 3. Yeah. That's and amazing. Then, uh, That's was, a lot of money for back then, too. Oh, yeah. 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 It was big, and my commissions were high. So I was elated when that deal closed because I, I was like, what? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just graduating and that was big. And then I chased a few other alumni that own businesses, rider trucks. There was a number of them and I continued to be able to close deals. How did you find him? How did you find that just through an alumni list looking at who owns businesses? Yeah. That are and, NYU alum? Yep. And, and health rider was new and I was seeing them advertise at other places in Utah and I, I connected with another friend that actually knew Doug Smith, which is Gary's oldest son, and, or not his oldest, but his most uh, involved son that was in the business. So again, back to the point, the, the university started to continue to wonder what I was doing and why I was getting paychecks to the level I was. And without disclosing, I will tell you that it's not that I made so much money. It was just that there wasn't that much money being paid out back in those days. I think LaBelle Edwards was making a hundred or a hundred and a quarter. I don't want to be fact checked on that. It could have been, I could be off, but it, it wasn't what the coaches of today are making. And then his endorsement money on top of that. Um, but if, if he was a hundred, a hundred and a quarter, I wasn't that far trailing him as a student. And so I all of a sudden was brought in and told that, Hey, look, this isn't working for the university. Uh, they're going to cut your pay. So they cut my commissions in half. I'll fast forward and tell you the next year I made the same amount of money because I sold double. I just said, okay, you can cut it in half. I'll just find more business. So I sold twice as much. Wow. And then after that, it was the end of the beginning and I could see the writing on the wall and I started to panic and get scared and concerned much like you guys probably feel like what's your future? Where's your job going to be? And you know, it just happened to happen at that time that I got a phone call from the Utah jazz and one of my clients who was an ad agency had told Mike Snar, who was the vice president of corporate partnerships at the jazz at the time 
he had called and said, Hey, we're looking for someone, an entry level, young, energetic guy, person. What, what do you think of the market? Is there anyone out there? And uh, she said at that time, you've got to meet Greg Tanner. The kid, I was absolutely willing to meet with him, but no way was I going to spend any money on KBYU. They don't even allow you to advertise. Next thing I know, I was signing a $20,000 deal. So she said, you ought to give him a call. Mike Starr called me. I came in. I met with, at the time, there was only four employees in the corporate partnership department. Larry Baum, Mike Snarr, uh, Les Olson, and a guy named Kevin Giannatiempo. I interviewed with all of them. I ended up getting the job, and I cannot tell you how elated I was that day and continue to be even today about my employment with the Utah Jazz. It been- Which is amazing. I kind of want to pause just for a second to recognize some, for the students here of how you got that job. Now, you, you were working for, for BYU Broadcasting, and you had built these relationships with individuals within the community. And it, it was someone that you knew that saw your work ethic that referred you over in order to do that. So I, I just think the, how valuable it is of relationships. You even talked about that at the beginning of the podcast, how important relationships are in order to get your start in sports. Can we dive into relationships for a minute? Yeah. So for me, if, if there was one takeaway, like one nugget that I could offer to this group tonight, it would be the, the absolute, absolute critical nature of relationships. And there's a thing that, that I term relationship arrogance. I learned that through one of my partners and, and uh, a business. And the, the, the thought behind relationship arrogance is that if you want to meet me because you think I might be able to hit, help you get a job, then you'll go out of your way to try to connect if we were at the same event. But if you thought, look, you're a sales guy and I'm in accounting, and there's no real upside that you can immediately see. You don't go out of your way to meet me. And in fact, you try to even avoid dealing with people that you don't see as being able to benefit you. What I've learned in time, um, if you go back and even look at the Disney model, it wasn't Walt Disney that knew the, the artists that created Mickey Mouse or many of the caricatures. It was a friend of his that knew someone. So I can't, I can't, put enough emphasis on the, the value of getting to know people for the right reasons. And I would challenge you guys, build your contact list now. When you meet someone, put your note in your list and state their name, state their title, and then in the notes say, hey, this guy was hilarious or this guy was really about his children, you know, he's a great dad or boy, he was passionate about X or Y. Get details behind these people, understand them, I have yet to turn someone down to meet with me that is persistent enough to get in. Now, if you just send me a blanket email and I've never met you, I get about a hundred of those a day. So I am deleting a lot of unread emails. I'll, I'll glance at them. And if it's not someone I know or something like that, I'm not moving through that. But if all of a sudden Jason refers someone over to me and says, Hey, I'd like to make a connection. Greg, would you take a few minutes? I'm all over that. Yeah. So relationships are, are hugely important and what a great takeaway, um, which is great. Cause now, now we're going to get into your time with the jazz. Um, you, you get this job with the jazz. Um, Mike Snar 
who you and I have great relationship with. We love Mike, um, now retired. Um, but he, um, he hires you on and, uh, you've now been with the Utah jazz for, I want to say almost 26 years. Is that right? In May. In, in May, it'll be 26 years. Yeah. Um, which really is unheard of in the industry because in sports, a lot of people say you got to jump around, you got to take the next job, the next manager job, VP, and, and move around the country in order to, to, to do that. Um, if, if you're trying to, let's just use Utah because that's where, where you're at. If you're trying to progress and stay in Utah, your options are limited because you've got the Utah Jazz, Real Salt Lake, maybe BYU Athletics, Utah Athletic. There's not a lot of professional sports in Utah, so your opportunities are limited if that's where you're 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 looking at at going. And so um, you would have to leave the state, right, in order to, to 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 progress. But you you started at the very beginning with four employees and have been there 26 years and and been able to progress all the way through your career so why do you feel like um you you've stayed with the organization so long um with the larry h miller group um and i'm sure we'll talk a little bit about how that's changed a little you know as well yeah. with the ownership change but um what has your career path been internally there with the jazz like how why, why have you been there so long often many many people leave for all sorts of different reasons and most importantly and what i see the most is if you want an income growth, it's typically not in the same company getting a year-to-year -year increase, you know, a cost of living increase. But if you're in sales and you've got a great product and there's growth, then you can jump your income. Otherwise, people are leaving companies, in my opinion, to try to get that income growth. For me, I, I walked into this job being, I was so excited, Jason, to, to be in sports, to be in the jazz. We were young and new. Uh, we didn't own the bees. We didn't own the racetrack. We didn't own the radio station. It was just the jazz. And then along that road progressed to the WNBA and I became the director of sales. And I was flying to New York and presenting to Nike and Budweiser and all these major national brands on this new women's league. And it was, so cool to be involved with. And, and I was like, man, I'm just this dumb kid from Murray, Utah. And now I'm presenting to these really incredible people. And then, uh, you know, the bees came along and that was really an anchor property for us because Utah loves baseball. I love baseball. And for me, I was like, okay, this is cool. Now I get to sell baseball. And then along the way, I'm not going to deny there's been a couple of products that have not been that easy to sell. The racetrack, not to bore you guys, but Larry Miller spent over $100 million on a racetrack that was originally budgeted to be a $5 million hobby where he and his friends could race their Cobras and store their cars and have a good time. And over, over time, Larry hired a track designer that encouraged him on a vision that this could become much, much more, which it did. We had world events there. We had the World Superbike, American Le Mans races. I mean, we had the top races, but unfortunately, Utah is a oval or a drag strip racing market. Not, not generalizing, but overall. There's plenty of long track racers here, but not enough to cover a $100 million track. So we went through a lot of pain and a lot of anguish trying to break even on the racetrack. 
And so, you know, we've tried some new things. Uh, the most recent I've, I've overseen the last couple of years, which is our esports team, the NBA 2K NBA team. For me, I, I mean, did I ever think in a million years I'd be selling in-game signage for an NBA 2K league? No, I did not ever think that. But it's been really cool to see esports come to the forefront. So um, from that to radio sales, to KJAZ TV, to a, an arena where we're selling events at times, it's really been the whole gauntlet. But I've stuck around, Jason, because I've never found any reason to leave. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one quick nugget. About 14 years ago, I got approached by a company called Boston Scientific. They're a uh, medical device company. They do stints. I had a buddy that has worked for them for a long time. He said, hey, you should come check this out. We're, we're doing really well. There's stock, there's stock, there's profit sharing, which the Millers have owned the Jazz privately, so that's never been an option for compensation. Um, and, and the salary itself was well, way above what I was making at the time. So I went into a couple surgeries. I had my buddy, who was the other sales guy, go to the uh, VA, and he's showing this doctor how this stint works. And the doctor nicks the inner lining. This guy had panc pancreatic cancer and he nicks the inner lining and the camera that they're using fills up with blood. And I was like, oh my goodness. And my friend starts taking over and, and trying to force this uh, blade through, through, the, uh, through the end of this. And he gets it and he pulls back and the stent opens up and all the blood and the bile dry, drains out and the TV monitor clears up. I was like, I'm out. I'm like, holy cow, man, I'm, 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 not, I'm not losing lives at the Jazz, you know. I'm trying to make people get away from their stresses and just have some entertainment. I decided that year when I found out that IHC had all the contracts that uh, at the time Clinton was the president. And if you guys recall, during that time, it was stressful on health care. And I was concerned on how contracts would work. And, and uh, I made a decision that day, Jason. I was, I was a lifetimer as long as they would have me. That's, that's awesome. That's great. Now I'm going to, I want to get to some, some of the questions that, that our students have cool. um, for you. But before I ask those questions, I kind of want you to break down what a sponsorship agreement consists of and a sponsorship relationship. Like, can you just get, give kind of a quick overview of what that, what, what a sponsorship really is and how yeah. it relates to how you work with partners? So I'll talk specifically to the jazz uh, as, as it relates to inventory. So Anyone that has seen or attended or listened to a jazz game uh, has taken part in what I represent or what we sell. So our radio broadcasts, any advertisement that falls within the broadcast or our pre or post game, TV, it's the same way. You might see a feature. You might see the three-point MACU uh, threes. Mountain America three-pointer for sure. Yep, yeah, which is awesome. Um, so a myriad of, uh, of elements and, and assets but really the way that that contract goes, I mean, we have a sales process that starts by cold calling for all intents and purpose. No different than how you would do it if you started with us tomorrow. And I said, hey, we don't have accounts for you. Go, go find some business. What would you do? You start looking at billboards. You start looking at who's already on TV and radio. You start looking at your relationships and who owns businesses. You start looking at people that, that could benefit from what you're offering. Once you find someone that you want to call on, we go and do what's called a discovery meeting, uh, Jace, where we go in and 
we, we, we ask a lot of questions. We're not selling anything. We're trying to find out if we want to continue with this or if it doesn't make sense for that partner. It's not for everyone. I mean, some businesses, it doesn't make sense. Uh, but where it does, we look for their needs. We try to find out what their challenges are. And then our goal would be to come back, pull together a dynamic group, hopefully some educated, bright minds from different departments, including our own, and we strategize on the information that we brought from that first meeting. Here's what's keeping them up at night. Here's what's not working. Here's what is working. Here's where they're currently spending their money. Here's how much money they're spending. And then we ascertain what out of all that do we have to offer them to solve some of their challenges. And then we put it into a presentation format and we back it up with data and analytics, which I think is one of the greatest changes in the last 10 years, Jason, from early day selling to where we're at today. We actually have a, we actually have a, a question about, and Adams, they say, what role does analytics play in create, um, let's see, Jeremy Hansen asked this, what role does analytics play in creating sponsorship agreements? Good call, Jeremy. It, it plays a huge role. I mean, I used to be able to sell signs and TV spots. We call them spots and dots. You could sell that based on a relationship. Let's not underestimate the value of a relationship. But look, if I came to Jason today at Mountain America and I presented him and I said, hey, we're buds, Jason. Would you mind buying this for $100,000? Jason's going to be like, Greg, I got to keep my job so that we can buy anything from anyone. So how do I know this is going to work? So we spend tens of thousands of dollars uh, annually, if not hundreds of thousands, in analytic programming uh, from a company currently, well, there's a number of them, GumGum and Blinkfire are two within that space where they evaluate signage within an arena based on getting exposure on television. How long was it up? How clear was it? Th those, how many impressions did it reach? And then it's evaluated to where we can put a Q1 media value against that asset. So uh, I would just tell you that analytics is critical to what we're doing. That's great. And, and uh, Jeremy also had a follow-up question to that. Have there been any sponsorship agreements that have gone bad? And what do you do from there? Yeah, very few for us. We're very fortunate. Um, again, talking with no arrogance, uh, the, the Utah Jazz and the way that the Millers operate their business, we try to operate off of good faith. Um, if we're doing business with someone that's new that we're not overly familiar with, we do credit checks and we try to protect ourselves by getting some, you know, we don't, we don't lay out our entire inventory for a season and then try to bill at the end of the year. But like all businesses, there's absolutely no question we've had bad debt. We've had some businesses that have unfortunately gone under. And consequently, there have been times where we've lost revenue as a direct result. And uh, what was your, Jeremy also asked, what was your success in, in any way tied to the success of the jazz in the late 90s? Uh, was my success tied to that? Yeah, or, yeah. What was your success personally in any way tied to the success of like John and Carl taking the team to the NBA finals? Absolutely. I mean, look, winning solves a lot of problems. Everyone likes to tie themselves to a winner. And so you look at national sponsors and, and that's kind of their goal. They sit and chase who's going to be the winner and try to try to jump on board. You, you look at Golden State in the last, I don't know, it feels like a decade, but you know, the last number of years, they, we used to give out tickets uh, at our golf tournament for the last place team. And we'd give the Clippers or the Golden State Warriors tickets out. And now that's flipped. And, you know, it's a, it's a pendulum 
that just it's cyclical and you can't always remain on top. I mean, there's a few exceptions where some of these markets tend to, to do what it takes to stay on top, but it's pretty cyclical. So yeah, I was a beneficiary of going to the finals. The first two, three years of my career with the Jazz, first year we went to the Western Conference Finals and lost to Seattle in game six. In the next two years, we went to the finals against the Bulls, and I get compensated on the inventory we sell that goes into the playoffs. So if the team stunk and got knocked out in the first round, the second and third round and, and the finals was revenue I wouldn't have ever seen. So absolutely. Yeah, success breeds success. That's for sure. Um, it, it makes a whole lot easier when you've got a lot of eyeballs looking at teams that are successful, right? It just makes it a lot easier to be able to, to, be able to sell. Um, Thomas uh, Day has a question here. Um, has the recent change in ownership affected sponsorships? You know, Thomas, that's been so new that I would say no. Um, I will tell you that Ryan Smith jumped on a Zoom call with our sports entertainment group the other day, and I think it's going to affect it positively. He was so passionate and so ramped up. It was contagious. I mean, my team, we came off and we had a side huddle uh, that we already had scheduled, and, and we were just like, this is awesome. When he was like, look, we're, we're going to go out and we're going to talk to every business that's not associated and, you know, we're going to do what it takes. And he's just, he was just so contagious, but it, it has not affected us positively or negatively yet. One, he cannot really speak publicly for another 50 something days until the board of governors do a final vote and he's accepted as an owner. So he's under a bit of a gag order. And then further, a lot of our deals are uh, either under contract or we're in the midst of finalizing right now. So I, I can't attribute anything negative to the, the change in ownership as far as it relates to contracts for sure. And, and he also has another question that kind of pivots to the end of last season. Uh, Rudy Gobert was, was the focus of, of COVID shutting down the NBA and all of sports really. Um, as they were getting ready to play the Oklahoma, Oklahoma City Thunder on that dreaded day in March yeah. um, that, that shut down the season and, and kind of the NBA working through all of, all of the challenges there to help set up the bubble um, down in Orlando. And, um, and he wants to know, as, as part of that restart, and the NBA had a super successful bubble with not having any positive tests and really finishing out the season and getting an NBA champion – but how did the lockdown and the eventual restart of the NBA affect sponsorships specifically for, for you? And then maybe even from the NBA standpoint. I appreciate that. Well, naturally we had less games by, by way of even going to the bubble and set, you know, saving, like you said, Jason, some games and, and the ability to get to a champion. So there was revenue loss for certain on our end. But it really provided an opportunity. I, I look at it as an opportunity that we were able to, one, prove to our partners that we're not just talking when we say we got your back. We were able to prove it. We proved it in a few different ways. One, I believe, based on what other people have told, other partners have told me in dealing with other entities outside of Utah and, and some sports entities in Utah, that our transparency was very important to them that we were open and we walked them through it. We didn't act, act as dictators. We didn't say, this is the deal, take it or leave it. It was very uh, 
I don't know, it, the, the two sides had an opportunity to really work through that together. It was a challenge. I mean, we didn't know, and, and it's uniquely, we can even talk about this coming season and where we're at today as it relates to that, because it's not decided. There's a bunch of unknowns. I can tell you what I know and what I think is going to happen. But uh, yeah, COVID was a challenge. It, it really did start with our team in Oklahoma City as far as publicly. I felt absolutely terrible for Rudy Gobert and how unbelievably mean people can be on chats and social media and some of the things that were said to him. Um, at the same time, Rudy's a warrior and he's a winner and you know he grew up in a tough environment as a kid and, and uh, he makes a lot of money. Somehow I think he'll be just fine. But in, anyway, it, it was unique starting with the Jazz and at that moment that the NBA got shut down. But to your point, Jason, having no positive COVIDs, having the ability. I, I personally think it hurt the Utah Jazz. I'm a homer, but as much, if not more than any other team. If you look at our momentum, when we shut down and where the pendulum goes traditionally in our team, right there where we ramp up, heading, heading towards the playoffs, I just think, I, I man, because we came out soft. Soft may not be the right word, flat when we first started playing and we lost a couple games that we should have had. And it just, it was tough. It was tough. Greg, what do you, what do you feel like? I mean, we just talked about the bubble and how COVID affected the end of last season. What, how do you feel like COVID is going to affect sponsorships moving forward? These contracts are, are, are outlined and how, how they're going to be structured and how you look at it. What, how is COVID going to affect everything, you know, mo moving down the road? Yeah, it's a challenge. We're, uh, I think our best thinking is, has been a uh, result of COVID, right? It's forced us to think outside of the box, to do things differently, to not get up and just do it the same way. We, we've created new inventory as a direct result. The NBA has created new inventory. You're now seeing virtual signage become an inventory piece that is going to, to affect viewership uh, because people are going to be able to see those signs if we don't have as many fans. Right now, according, you know, we're going to follow the health guidelines, but uh, we're, we're looking to be a little bit maybe on the conservative side of even what the health guidelines may allow and, and start conservatively, make sure that our fans are safe and protected and, and that our strategy is in place and then we'll continue to ramp up. But what, you'll see it differently. I mean, we're not going to have, you know, the first number of rows at the arena are not going to have fans in it. We're just not going to put our players in a position where they have screaming fans over their shoulders. And so it, it'll be different from that perspective. Uh, again, some of our uh, assets aren't going to be executable. You know, if we typically do an on-court promotion for fans in the arena, we may do that. But the value of that, if it's 7,000 fans in the arena and you're used to having 18,000, then you've got to take into account that our partners are not getting the same value that they originally negotiated. And so, our workload, I've worked harder in the last six months than I worked, I wouldn't say ever, but man, I'm telling you, we've been working hard and it's, it's. You're putting in some hours. Yeah. It's reevaluating. If I look like I'm half dead tonight, I had a long day. <laughs> just, Don't let him fool you guys. He fly fishes a lot. I do. I like fly fishing. <laughs> I do. Jason's got me hooked. I'm a bit addicted. Um, so yeah, there's going to be some uniqueness to it. I think you're going to see if anyone's interested, maybe I'm boring you, but I'll, I'll give you the, the details of what we know. There's two options right now that is being considered. 
the, the uh, ownership side has presented a 72-game season starting December 22nd. That's 10 games less than what we normally play. Um, that would end in July, finals. The players came back, the players' union came back and said, we want to start on Martin Luther King Day, January 18th, ending in August, about the 21st. Unfortunately or fortunately, money seems to talk, and there is a ton of TV revenue at risk in that delayed. If, if it delayed till January on Martin Luther King Day, we would have a 60-game season. So you go from 72 to 60 games with 30 teams with national broadcast contracts, you're talking over $500 million. And so if I'm a betting man, I'm, I think we'll be starting December 22nd. I think we'll uh, run it through July. It'll be a 72 game season and it should be awesome. I'm really back, really back on track. Yeah. Well, I have a few, few more, few more questions here and then we'll kind of wrap up. I have a few questions I, I ask at the end here as we're coming up on our, on our time, but um, Greg, why don't you share with, with the group, one of the most unique sponsorships that you've seen. You bet. If, if you don't mind, I'll go to our new owner in Qualtrics. Uh, you know, I, I managed that account the last four years. I, I was in the early negotiation of the deal and I was front row to, to watch some of our executives and most importantly, Mike Mon and Ryan Smith from Qualtrics uh, let their passion come out. And the reason why that deal stands out is very unique. It's, the only, it's unprecedented. It's the only one of its kind where a major partner takes an asset, in the seven-figure asset, and donates it to a charity. No other NBA team, especially at that time, had ever done anything like that. And if, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Ryan Smith story, you may want to tune in to the BYU uh, School of Management 2019. I think it was the devocation that he gave to the graduating uh, students. And he kind of talks about his life story. And I won't take the time tonight since we're, we're about at our, our end. But the bottom line is Ryan Smith had a father that had cancer. And so cancer and the research behind cancer became very, very important to his family. So when he got to a point of significance in his business where he could make that contribution, I'd never seen anything like that. I mean, it was a brand new asset that the NBA had launched. It was very forward facing and, and you know, everyone's seeing it. And I thought it was cool. And how much is that Jersey Patch sponsorship generated in, in uh, support to help cancer research? I think they're at 26 million right now. We have a goal of 50 million. I might be off on that number a little bit, but I think we're at 26 million right now. Yeah. And nice. what's really cool is Ryan and Lori Kuhn over there and her team have expanded it beyond someone like us just going to a jazz game and giving five bucks. And now they have companies that are getting on and their employees are donating through their companies. And it's, it's really cool because a lot of the, the Utah money staying here and most of it ends up at Huntsman. And, you know, we have a deep passion for Huntsman uh, research as well. And so it's kind of serving dual purposes in the state. So it's awesome. Well, before I, I end with some of my questions, I, I want to make sure I get as many of the student questions answered as I can. Sure. Um, uh, Zachary Smith asks, how, how does this ownership change affect jobs throughout the franchise? Don't know yet. There's a lot of uh, interesting questions that we all want to know. I mean, 
the, what we've been told right now, Zach, is we become employees of Ryan Smith, which I presume he'll, he'll start a company before the end of the year. Let's call it Ryan Smith Sports and Entertainment. The employees of Larry Miller Sports Entertainment will become those employees of Ryan Smith Entertainment. The Miller Company will keep its uh, properties like Megaplex Theaters was not in the buyout. The Bees was not in the buyout. So there's an operating agreement where the team that I work with will continue to represent the Bees and Megaplex in selling those assets. As far as opportunities, we have uh, through COVID had a number of layoffs. Uh, a lot of those, the majority of those fell on, on the automotive side and some of the other properties outside of sports. However, we did lose some good friends and then we do have a few employees that are still furloughed. And so I anticipate when we have a handle on COVID and we're able to come to full capacity again at our venues, that we're going to want to ramp back up and, and get to a place where we can properly manage and service and get to the level of, of uh, service that we expect and we were at when, when this shut down. I mean, we're doing... It's not that our service has necessarily dropped off. It's, I mean, I'm doing things that I wasn't doing before. I used to do them. And, and as I progressed in my, my job title, I moved to different responsibilities. And I'm back to doing some of those, which, frankly, I've really enjoyed. It's kind of been refreshing. But what, one mantra at the Jazz or at the sports entertainment at the Millers, we're not afraid to work. Look, if, if someone called me and said, hey, Greg, you're, the sign over at the Salt Lake Bees is dirty or fell down, I'm not calling someone to go hang that. I'll, I'll jump in my car and I'll go over and I'll get that grommet back up and get it hung. I think that's the beauty of our group is everyone from my perspective is willing to jump in. And it's, it's just kind of a team thing. That's just, the, you know, Ryan Smith recently, and in that talk, if you watch that, he talks about being all in. And it's ironic because we made t-shirts for our, our uh, company two years ago, I think that said all in. And so it seems like we're going to fit pretty naturally. That's great. And Hannah, Hannah asks, uh, what do you think is the key of negotiation in selling a deal? I think the key is, is that both sides give. I think that if, if I were to negotiate with someone and I got everything that I wanted and gave nothing back, I mean, when you negotiate and go buy a car, there's not a worse experience than walking away feeling like you just got ripped off, right? So I, I personally feel the key to negotiation is making sure that you hear and understand the needs of the person you're negotiating with. And once you know those needs, if you can satisfy them, what I've learned, most people will pay. They say they don't have money for this or that. If you satisfy a need that is really a pinch point for them, they have the money or they'll find the money because they want to, they know that that will satisfy something big for them. So I, I think the key to negotiation is not to think that you got to walk away with all everything that, that, that you went in asking for. I'm, I'm more than happy to say, I get it. If your budget's here, we can pull something out. Maybe I can sharpen my pencil, but I, I think negotiation uh, is critical to not go in thinking I've got to have this or I'm not doing a deal. Once you start with that mentality, I think you're in trouble. Amazing advice. And I've got three questions to, uh, to, to ask you here to, to finish up. Um, what do you feel like the future looks like for, the, for you personally and for the yeah. Utah Jazz 
Yeah, I'm very excited about the future. Uh, I, I, you know, I always say let's not hold meetings at 6 p.m. because uh, we we only have so much fuel in the tank, and and it's a lie if we think that we can have endless fuel. So let's be real with each other. All of us are probably not at our very best tonight. We've had long days. We've been busy. You guys have probably been doing school and whatever else. And, you know, I certainly have been busy and I know Jason's traveled. Um, and so I, I would just say I feel re-energized. Like I just got my, my fuel tank filled. And the way we fill our fuel tank is one with food, one with sleep. That's why early morning meetings are critical when it's something's really important to you. Um, but, but I would also say that with that energy that I feel like my tank was just filled up. I feel like I just ate, I just got a good night's sleep with, with the news. And that is nothing that I want to take away from the Millers. I absolutely would not be where I'm at was if it was not for the principally based company of, of Millers. Um, I love what they stand for. I, I love their principles. I love their, uh, Basically, everything that they've taught me, I'm going to use in this new company. As far as uh, where we go in the future with, with uh, Ryan Smith and this new ownership, and he's passionate, he's got moxie and grit, he's tired, he never gets tired, he's not scared, you know, he's, he's very um, driven, and he's focused, in my opinion, on what he believes is very important, which he listed as career, family, and faith. And I think it's pivotal that we're well-rounded in our lives. If, if we get two out of sorts and we focus 100% on financial, you may be rich, but then you're going to be out of shape or unhealthy or miserable or have no social life. If you focus 100% on your health and you live in the gym all the time, you're going to be, you're going to be, uh, yoked, but you're, you're going to be broke or you're going to be un, you know, you'll be everything but unhealthy. So I love that Ryan is very well-rounded. He, he, uh, he expects everyone to be all in. I've learned that in the last four years. What, what makes you get up in the morning and do what you do? I, I'm a simple person. Again, I, I'm, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I like to think I know a little bit, but I think hard work and loyalty and just commitment I'm, I'm kind of one of those grinders, man. I just, I don't know. I get up early every day. I, I, I'm a creature of habit. I hit, I got a gym in the house. I hit the gym. I eat the same stuff. I try to stay fit and, and uh, I go through kind of the same routines that have worked for me for a long time. So, and the, and the other key to that, Jason, is honestly, what can I be doing that I would enjoy more than what I'm doing? And I mean that sincerely. What I don't, I don't know. I'm sure there's people making millions out there that love what they're doing. But I just, I, I targeted to go into this. As you mentioned, I'm with the Jazz, which in this market is is really the fun property, in my opinion. And I just don't see myself. To, I, I hope I, I hope I end my career here. I really do. If you were listening to this podcast, say 20, 25, even 30 years ago for you, right? Um, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? That's a great question. You know, obviously the advancement of uh, analytics and technology and where that was going to go. I'd love to have been a little bit ahead of that, you know, just in, in consideration of our CRM and honestly what that has taken for five or six years when you contemplate inventory, rates, contracts, and all, all of our relationship management systems that come out of all that stuff and what, you know, the, the transition from one to another. 
Uh, I, I just think the technology change, it would have been really nice to have a little sneak peek into a crystal ball on that. But I mean, my relationships have all, I've been very consistent in my opinion over 25 years of kind of being the same guy. I don't think I've changed much as far as how I treat my partners and my friends and my coworkers. So I don't know, that's a tough question. I'll have to think about that one. No, that's great. That's perfect. Greg, thanks so much for being a guest on this special live edition of the Sponsor Pod with the students from BYU-Idaho. I know they they appreciated you being on here and sharing some, some words of wisdom. Greg Tanner, Vice President of Corporate Partnerships and the Business Development for the Utah Jazz. Thanks, Greg. You got it. Support for the Sponsor Pod and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, Look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Hey, thanks for listening to this special live edition of the Sponsor Pod with the students of BYU-Idaho. Before you go, I want to remind you to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends, email, social media, or even by word of mouth. We appreciate all the support. Until next time, I'm Jason Smith, and you've been listening to The Sponsor Pod.